Uh, welcome to uh, our Wednesday service as we're celebrating the season of Lent here together. Uh, if this is your first time coming tonight, uh, we welcome you. Uh, we don't normally meet every Wednesday like this, but during the season of Lent, we, you know, it's all about inconveniencing ourselves. <laughs> and so we volunteer some reason to come out here on Wednesday nights. But it's, it's, it's neat. I, I love this idea. I don't know if you're joining with some of us who are fasting for the day, and then we get to break the fast with the soup afterwards. So as that smell hits me, you'll notice I preach faster. <laughs> so we can get on to that. But it's, it's neat, you know, so much of our faith is, it's just private, it's ourself. You know, we spend time just privately praying and privately reading our scriptures and even normally coming into a church, you know, a big church like this, it's easy just to sit there and just kind of you sit by yourself. And on these uh, Wednesdays, it sort of pushes us out of that and, and makes our faith a little more public and social, uh, which is a good thing, amen? So thank you very much for being here. Um, tonight, so uh, I'm gonna do just kind of a shortened message and then we'll uh, break bed together afterwards with some soup. And what I'm gonna be doing tonight is just kind of talking about this idea of sort of setting it up and kind of explaining, again, maybe you've heard us say it over and over again, but I'll say it a little differently, um, about Lent and, and why we're doing this and why we're gathering together over this season. Uh, this, this season of Lent, it's a, um, I, I love this uh, in a weird way. It's kind of a season you can both love and hate. <laughs> but I love getting together like this and sort of taking time in the season and messing with ourselves. Uh, and it can be tough because we try to cram more stuff in an already busy schedule. You know, and like I said, it's already tough to find room to do things in your life and then we choose to come out again on another night of the week. We were just at church. Why well, we gotta be there again? and maybe some questions you heard from your children. Um, <laughs> and it also messes with us. We kind of get annoyed in our day because those, maybe you're giving up something for Lent and it's, you know, if it's chocolate or this, I'm not a chocolate guy, but if, it, if you're into that kind of thing, you know that time where it hits you and you just, you know, you, you yearn for it. And it's like as soon as you say you're not going to have it, Right? It's like there's nothing more in the world that that's what I want. And it's this rebellious thing inside us. Tell me I can't have chocolate. And that's all you see is chocolate. And then you, at some point you're convincing yourself, maybe the Lord's telling me I should have chocolate. I don't know. I just to make time for prayer and do all of those things. But it's good to mess with us. You know, it's kind of like holding up a mirror to our soul to see what's going on in there. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, to test ourselves. And we examine ourselves by engaging in these things that mess with us. You know, they take us out of our comfort zones and they cause us to react. You know, you can learn a lot about yourself by seeing how you react to things. Uh, it reminds me of um, on my dad's uh, radio show he used to do, Mark Gunger show. He had to retire from that because it was driving him crazy. But he would get, because he would get like the same questions over and over again. And I remember he had this saying, it was uh, when, when people would write in about who they're dating and things of that nature. He said, you know, you date the act and you marry the react. And the idea behind this was, is he would get in these emails and it'd be some lovely lady and she'd be like, oh, my boyfriend, he's so sweet and he's so kind and he's so wonderful to me. He just cares for me so much. But you know, sometimes when he gets mad, he takes the dog and kicks it across the room. And his car broke down and he just cursed like crazy and was hammered. But he's a good guy, but he really loves me. 
And my dad's going, no. You see, all those nice things you're seeing, that's the act. He's dating, right? At a date, when you're dating someone, that's like the job interview. You're on your best behavior. You, you, you embellish your resume, the whole thing. And then, you know, but when you get married, oh, you marry that react. This is why it's good if you are dating. Get your, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend in situations that mess with them a little bit just to see how they react. Because that's who you're gonna marry. And that's what happens to us in this season. You know, we find time for extra prayer, which is so hard, because it's like I've never been more tired in my life than when I want to kick into extra prayer. Fast. (laughs) Thank you. Love you too. (laughs) Fasting, of course, will mess with us as well, right? Because it's like when you don't want things, just those, you know, you begin to manifest inside. Gatherings like this can mess with us. All the work to get everyone out the door again for another week. But it's in those moments that we find where the, as my uncle would always tell me when, he was, when I was learning about Lent, he said, it's where the dragons lie. And he, he, he told the story, he said, he said, you know, back when they were making maps, the map makers, they would write out everything that they knew, right? They knew that the mountain was here, they'd write the mountain, they knew the river was here, they knew, and they'd write where everything was. But in the areas that were not explored and they didn't know it was there, they would just write where the dragons lie. It's the unexamined area. And that's what happens when you fast or you take things out of your life or you mess with yourself like that. We sort of find where those dragons lie. It's kind of like doing a stress test, (laughs) right, on ourselves to kind of see how we're doing. You know, and the truth is, we all think we're doing great. You know, we do. If you ask how you're doing spiritually, I'm doing real good. I'm good, loving God, doing great. I treat people nicely. Well, yeah, it's because we have a stress test yet. It's kind of like you get a group of guys my age in their 40s together and you talk about like working out or something. How many pull-ups do you think you can do? We all base it off of what we did 20 years ago. <laughs> right, guys? Maybe if we could do 15 back then, we'll say, well, maybe I could do eight now. And then you get up there and you actually do it and you realize you could barely get two. Oh, oh why? Well, because it's one thing for us to think what we can do. <laughs> I still got it. <laughs> I can still run a sub six minute mile street. No, I mean, you're gonna pass out a heart attack a quarter mile down the road. But what happens here is when we put ourselves into a pressure situation, we sort of see if we're operating within our specs, right? If you really think you're doing great. Because I think, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think, I think I love God. Okay, well, let's mess with you and kind of see what happens. And you might find areas that, ooh, you know. For this reason alone, when you join in Lent, it can be a little unnerving. <laughs> I mean, there should be a little little part of you that hates it. <laughs> or not, that's just me as well. There's parts of it I don't love. Maybe you've already been messed with in this last week just because you've been giving up something or making more room. But now, let me make this point clear. Uh, Lent is not something that you have to do. <laughs> Joining with us, it's not a requirement. There's nowhere in the scriptures that you read through and says you need to join together with Celebration Church in Lent. It does not exist. And guess what? God is not going to love you any less if you choose not to join with it. That's not what it's about. If you do choose to join with it, it'll certainly open you up. You know, God can speak to you and show you things in your life that maybe you have missed, but you don't do it to win God's favor. You know, God's love is not dependent upon how you act. Thank you, Lord. His love is placed on you because of who you are and not by what you do. Now, if you do some stupid things, you might have to deal with those consequences, but that does not affect his love towards you. He places value on you no matter what your actions might be. And there's nothing you can do other than look at that fact 
that he will never love you any less or love you any more based on what you do. And the reason is because what Jesus did outshines what we do. Again, thank you, God. So with that understanding, it's important to know that we're still called, though, to love God back. Right? What did Jesus tell us the greatest commandment was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 1 John 4 tells us that we love because he first loved us. So see, it's in view of God's love to us that our response should be to love him back. It should be kind of an automatic response. You know, it's automatic responses like if someone sneezes, you say, bless you. It's just automatic. Or if you're in Green Bay, if someone goes, dun, 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 dun. Something holy about that. <laughs> and that's what Lent is. Lent in seasons like this, it's about us loving God back. It's not to earn anything. It's simply to acknowledge that he, he has our attention. You know, it's not to earn anything. It's just simply to acknowledge him. And it's when he moves in us that we are then equipped to serve him. See, we can serve him because of what he did in us. Hebrews 13, uh, in verse 20, says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, it's in this examining of our souls that we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing with this? How are we responding to the grace that's been given to us? How are we responding to him? Because it's very easy to become a complacent Christian. Goodness, no, I'm guilty of that. Find myself getting basically lazy in God's grace. You know, but there's a verse uh, as well in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. See, the question is, is God's grace having an effect on you? And what is that effect? Because he goes on to say, he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was given me. It's the idea of this grace of God moving in us, moving towards us, that equips us back to love him. Now, when we get in these times, we get in these seasons as we mess with ourselves and we make more time for prayer and stuff, it's kind of saying, how are we doing with our dun-dun-dun, da-dun-dun-dun? That automatic response to his grace. <laughs> it's so weird having my dad here. <laughs> hearing his laughter. Usually he's not here when I speak. Unless something horribly went wrong, I don't know. But no, it was, you know what's funny is yesterday he just assumed he was talking. He's like, oh, man, I, oh, I guess I gotta prepare something for tomorrow. I was like, what? No, we planned this a while ago. And we're doing, oh, it was like he got a day off. It was wonderful. He was excited. <laughs> so again, are we allowing that reaction to happen to us? You know, another text in 2 Corinthians verse six, Paul says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And see, that's what we're doing tonight Throughout this season, we're trying to urge you to not receive God's grace in vain. 
So we take times like this to see how we're responding to that grace. Are we receiving his grace in vain? And again, I want to let you know, I'm not talking about legalism. This isn't, well, we have to do this and you have to do that and you better pray this much. That's not what I'm talking about. This is simply how are we responding to him. Titus 2, verse 14 says, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And I must be honest, I don't always consider myself a zealous person. You know, I looked up the definition of zealous and it's funny, there's two kinds. There's the very emotional kind, you know, passionate, enthusiastic, energetic. I don't know that I feel passionate, enthusiastic, and energetic about most things, but that's just my personality. Then I read the ones that are committed, purposeful, and dedicated. Well, shoot, I don't get out of zealous. Those I get, and those I understand. But it's this idea, when it moves in you, there should be something in us that has this passion that we're dedicated to doing these good deeds. You know, am I purposeful in doing good deeds? Things that are of God. Again, we're not talking about doing things to earn anything from God. In fact, we don't really want what we've earned from God. But it's this ideal of this zealousness is just that we have tasted grace and that we are equipped and we are zealous to bring a change into the world. And this is the idea of Lent, that it will mess with us, it will mature us, and we will be able to leave our mark on the planet instead of just a stain. (laughs) Now this idea of, of... of Lent, as we move towards God, it's, you know, you hear us say, making room for God. You know, it's this idea of if, if I was driving, you were gonna jump in my car and there was a bunch of stuff in my front seat, I'd have to move that stuff to allow you to come in. That's kind of the idea here. This is why we do things a little differently. This is why we might fast something or we take extra time out. We're sort of making room for God in our life. It's like in Isaiah 40 where it says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then it says, as a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's this idea of what are we doing in our lives to make our path straight. When we look and we see how we're reacting, we might see things that, oh, we're not operating under manufacturer recommendations. <laughs> oh, I got a little upset here. Man, that's driving me crazy. I know just, you know, fasting today, for some reason, traffic was just worse today. <laughs> and everyone just wanted to test my patience. It's like everyone forgot how to use blinkers or whatever. It's like you catch yourself just, you know, you see those little things that manifest inside of you. It's like, whoa, hold on. What can I do to make the path straight, make room for God. Because check this, it says, when we do that, in verse four it says, every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill be made low. You know, if you're sitting right now and you think there's something in your life that seems like it's such a chasm between you and where you wanna be. Such a a mountain in front of you from where you are and where you wanna be, you can't even see it. This should bring you hope. Because it says when we make the path straight that he will take those valleys, they shall be raised up and every mountain be made low. It says the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. 
And it says this, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it. When God moves in your life, you notice it, you feel it, it's so real. And that's what we're looking for and that's what our hope is through this season that as we go through and we make room for God, as you take you know, more time and find more time for prayer, pull something out of your life just to mess with yourself, <laughs> that we're doing that to make a path straight for God because we need him in our lives and we want his glory revealed in our lives, amen? amen. All right, well, let's do this. Let me close in prayer and I'll pray for the food and then we can head on out. Now, I need to tell you there are some rules they gave me about picking up your children. And I was joking with Becky, and now I'm trying to remember if I remember the actual ones or if I just remember the jokes that I made out of what she told me. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I get that. If I understand correctly, if you have a child up to, through grade school, so sixth grade or lower, fourth grade or lower, um, when we dismiss, you can go and get those children right away, and then... Uh, you can come back and eat. However, if your child is above said age group, you can wait until uh, 8 p.m. Yeah, to pick them up. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your grace. And Lord, we do ask for your glory to be revealed in every person here as we join together. And, and Lord, we know we don't do this out of some compulsory thing of this somehow gets us closer to you or we climb another rung in our Christian you know, level but we do this through view of your grace, of what you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray as well just for this time as we get to head out and hang, I just pray you bless the conversations, bless the, the people as they hang out. And Lord, I pray you, uh, for this food, that you bless it. For those of us who haven't eaten for a while, may it be wonderful, wonderful to our souls. <laughs> we pray this in your name, Lord God, amen. Well, awesome. Thanks, guys, for coming out. Like I said, if your children fits in that age range, you can go get them. Otherwise, you can wait, and then let's go have some soup. <laughs>